Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Supreme and safety pin manufacturers are running out of metal for the diapers of the leftists. It's comforting to know an ancient, fat, long-haired, bearded reprobate has your mind in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, and despite every attempt by the SHR Media Network to revoke his shameless contract, we return to the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon radio show, live and direct right here on the SHR Media Network. You got a belly up to the bar, we've kept your seat, and it's great to see you back tonight. It is, oh my gosh, July the 16th, the year of our Lord, 2019. Kelly is going to be your bartenderess tonight. She pours for the best of them. The lava lamp is, in fact, lighted to my left, your right, as you're watching the show. I got to tell you this. We don't water our drinks just like we don't water our conversation. Politics, religion, crime, culture, economics, race, sex, science, law. We talk about it all right here at the saloon. Nothing is sacred. The speech is free, but the booze is not. All we ask is that you flush the toilet, jiggle the handle, and don't forget to tip your waitress tonight. In the saloon, we have a very special returning guest, and I have read his book, We're going to be talking to an author tonight. It's a fabulous book, and I am blessed to have him on the show. My guest tonight is thriller author Matthew Betley, whom I have had the distinct pleasure of interviewing before this last time back in December of 2017. That was way back then. And that was regarding his then-newest book, Oath of Honor. Now, to date, Matthew Betley has written three books in chronological order. They are Overwatch, Oath of Honor, and Field of Honor with his fourth book released today entitled Rules of War. Uh, That I am speaking to Matthew Betley tonight on the occasion of that release is no coincidence. So thanks, many thanks to David Brown and Simon & Schuster for arranging the interview, the advanced copy, and the honor of being able to speak to you, Matthew Betley, on the birthday of your new book, Rules of War. So, Matthew Betley, happy birthday, sir. Thanks, BZ. I appreciate it. Um, first things first, uh, 
Thank you for staying up so late uh, for tonight's interview. I fully acknowledge your sacrifice of time. This is <laughs> literally. It could be. Yeah, go ahead. Literally, you have been up all day. Uh, thank you for placing the show on uh, your promo, the promo portion of your page. My guess is that you've been doing stuff like this all day. And seriously, it's about 8.03 on the left coast, which means it's about 11.03 on the right coast where you are. And that's why I say I greatly appreciate the time that you're taking to be here tonight, sir. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I totally appreciate it. Believe me. Uh, and and and, and I'm, I'm getting a little bit of a second wind, so we'll see how long we go. Okay. All right. I never have fewer than multiple hundreds of questions because anytime that I talk to you about your books, um, I just, what I'd like to do tonight maybe is uh, talk briefly about your background, launch launch immediately into your new book, Rules of War, and on the back end, maybe ask you some questions about your experiences and, and what drives you today. You've got an extensive bio, and one of the things I want to tell people about is if you want to read his books matt betley is a thriller author now he's got four go to matthewbetley.com to find out all of the stuff about where he is so in a in to to shorten things up a little bit um you grew up in ohio you went to miami university uh you were an intern investigator in washington dc for a public defender's office um, you graduated, you worked in corporate America for a while, and then you went into the Marine Corps in 1999. So you became a Marine officer. You were trained as a scout sniper, platoon commander, an infantry officer, a ground intelligence officer. Uh, you were deployed to Djibouti, uh, Fallujah, Iraq. Prior to the surge, you've been in staff officer support billets, and I'm going somewhere with this, folks. Uh, you learned that enemy rocket and mortar fire doesn't uh, discriminate between billet types. Obviously, facts. Yes, this is, this is true. <laughs> facts in evidence. Um, your first book, Overwatch, was nominated. It was published in 2016 for a Barry Award. It was nominated for a Barry Award for Best Overall Thriller. Boom, right off the bat. And you were named a Top 10 Book of 2016 by the Military Times. How apropos this. Um, the second and third uh, novels were Oath of Honor and Field of, uh, Field of Valor. They got similar critical acclaim. And now today we have um, Rules of War having come out. Uh, you're a recovering alcoholic. And I, I think it's time for me to say this. First, Matthew Bedley, congratulations on your 10-year AA coin in March. Thank you. I appreciate that. Congratulations <laughs> on your blue check mark from Twitter. It only took you, what, <laughs> 75, 76 years, something like that? Uh, so it's really funny because uh, <laughs> since that happened, the famous people who have followed me is like mind-numbing. I'm like, wait, who? And, and I won't go into the list of the people who follow me, but it's pretty wild. And and. I had been told a year ago by somebody very, very well known, and that when you get the blue check mark, it actually makes a difference. Now I was, I kind of was dismissive about it because I figured, being a, a, a somewhat conservative, I was never going to get the blue check mark. And then I got it, and, and I actually see what they mean. I mean, that the reality is, it does have an impact because people will follow you once they realize that you've been verified. But the, the there's a point to this story, and that is, it took me literally less than six months, six 
hours after getting verified for somebody to call me racist. And I'm like, what did oh, I do? God. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, and it was all because I didn't want I didn't want a female James Bond. I grew up with the iconic character of James Bond. It had nothing Jeez. to do with race, but this guy immediately just assumed I was racist. And I was like, dude, that, uh, like literally, I was like, you obviously have no idea who I am, what my experiences are, what I believe in, but you're just like throwing out the racist card right away. I was like, okay. Uh, on, the, is- <laughs> on the other hand, Matthew Bitley, did you expect any less? <laughs> Yeah, I know, especially with, with the uh, the uh, national discourse. Over, actually, it's not even the national discourse. It's the coastal discourse on the east and west coasts oh. uh, over the last, like, 36 hours. So, no, I'm not surprised by anything. That's a rather insightful point. I, I have another congratulations that are due to you, and that's on Dana Perino from Fox News having picked Rules of War to be her book club selection on Fox Nation for July. Yes, she is. She is uh, we, we've actually been pen pals and known each other through Twitter uh, because she's followed my, my columns at townhall.com and before that the Weekly Standard. And then she picked Rules of War to be you know, her book club selection. I went up to Fox News in June. I was on her show, The Daily Briefing, talking about the VA right. and the burn pit issue. And then we also talked about the books. And then we did a, the interview for Fox Nation that's currently posted on the front page of, of Fox Nation for all the listeners. She is the most gracious, nice person you could ever meet. Uh, between her and Janice Dean, the weather machine, I don't know which one is, is, is getting to the gates of heaven sooner. Hopefully not soon, but you, you get my meaning. Yes, I do. And so basically what you're saying is Dana Perino, as she appears on TV, that's her. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. She, I, I mean, she, she's been responsive, supportive. She is a truly nice, genuine person. Um, and I guess I should do this if if I'm going to send congratulations out. I, my congratulations here from the, uh, the SHR Media Studios to Logan and Sarah for their baby girl Sophia too. I don't want to leave them out. <laughs> yeah, do not do not leave them out. Um, let's get right to your book, your brand new book, Rules of War, just came out today. Um, one of the very last paragraphs of your prior book, Field of Valor stuck with me and i i found it just sort of shaking to me personally it goes like this i always forget how heavy the dead are cole said in more ways than one logan countered amen to that cole said to me that's both chilling and illuminating simultaneously that's another reason i enjoy reading your books you insert little gems like this the dead are heavy and they exact a toll on us does that weigh on the mind of Logan West, do you think, from the very beginning of Rules of War, Matthew Bedley? Oh, uh, always. So he's, he's very self-aware, especially now at this point in the series. And, and he knows that what he's doing is for all the right reasons, and, but it takes a psychological toll on him, although he's determined to see it through no matter what, because he knows... He's now accepted the, the, the reality that he and his task force are the best ones suited to confront this threat in the organization that's been manipulating global events for, to create instability for the past several years. And, uh, but, but what I've been especially proud of with this book is 
you know, everyone knows me for these huge, crazy action sequences. Right. But the reality is, is the characters for me come first. I intend to put the readers right in the middle of the action, but I want them to care about the characters. And as the characters evolve and are forced to go through these harrowing experiences. So Logan, at the very beginning of my first book, he's emerging from a relapse blackout, doesn't want to have anything to do with what's going on, but he's forced into that position. By now, he's fully embraced it. So Matthew Bentley, set this up for us a little bit, and I'm not going to go into the details of the book because that's why I want folks, you need to read Matthew Bentley. MatthewBetley.com, his brand new book, Rules of War. Go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to any place that sells books, and you're going to find it, buy it. One of the finest, if not the finest, thriller writer on the planet extant today. But set this up. I I appreciate that. I mean, that's that's huge phrase, especially... Uh, on a day like today with uh, other big names whose books have dropped at the same time as mine. Um, I I don't even know about that. I'm not going to go there. My focus is on you because of what a great author you are. So set us up a little bit. In Rules of War, the vice president, Joshua Baker, has been kidnapped already. The NSA director has already been killed. There's some kind of amorphous thing called the organization. And then things start to actually get busy for your protagonist, Logan West. Yes. So, so this book picks up uh, several weeks, just a few weeks after the end of the events of Field of Valor. Now, I want all the listeners to know that I intentionally wrote Rules of War in a way that would draw in new readers, but would also uh, be great for readers of the entire series just to pick up. So I, and I do that by referring to events in the, the previous three books in a way that doesn't detract from the pace or the story that I'm telling in Rules of War. So where Logan and his task force are at the beginning of this book, they know that the the vice president is actually a traitor to, to the United States, that he's a horrible human being responsible for countless deaths and mayhem uh, in the U.S. and across the, the globe. But the rest of the world thinks he's been kidnapped by a militia. Now, they're, they're on the hunt, and that hunt takes them first to the Caribbean and then to Venezuela. Now, I intentionally, two years ago, started plotting this book out. I was following the events in uh, South America. And since my other books had already taken place from Alaska to North, uh, North America, Mexico, Iraq, the Middle East, and Africa, I said, you know what, I really want to set this somewhere in South America and with the, the turmoil that Venezuela is in due to its economy and the horrible conditions the people are going through day in, day out, uh, I, I, I had to set this thriller down there. And, and so Logan and his friends are on the hunt, and about 70% of the book takes place in and around Caracas in, in a crumbling uh, uh, city and, and economy. I didn't see that coming. I When I, I read the book, I... I dug the hell uh, out of yeah, it. Don't give it away. I know what you're going to just do. Don't, yeah, I, and I, I'm proud of that one. <laughs> I, I dug the hell out of it. Um, I, I hope I don't Bigfoot your story by saying this. One of the locales is the Humboldt Hotel in Venezuela. Yep, on the on the north side of the uh, – in, in the Avila National Forest Park at, at, I think, elevation of like 7,700 feet, I believe. Dude, you tore that place apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I spent a 
ton of time in that facility um, from watching people's vacation videos to look at finding the blueprints of it in Spanish to, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just hours and hours of research to get that right uh, because that scene was so much fun to write. I, I got to tell you, Matthew Bentley, I am all in with you on that. And, and I can tell I'm into a great thriller when I not only encounter systemic action, good dialogue, great exposition, but it takes me to, to things or places I don't know anything about. And so your book made me want to explore the Humboldt Hotel. I wanted to see this place and understand it. Uh, so is that kind of one of your uh, goals, or is that, was that sort of peripheral in your new book, Rules of War? Well, I, I wanted to, for, for the new book, I wanted to do things I haven't done in the previous three, and I, I believe I accomplished that successfully. And so that was one of the reasons uh, when I was researching Caracas, I was looking for unique landmarks, and as soon as I saw that, I, I absolutely knew what I had to do. It was it was like a lightning bolt. It wasn't even uh, a question. <laughs> you, I could see you right now thinking to yourself, "Dude, I am gonna tear this place apart. This is gonna be so great." This is Matthew Bentley. Oh. His new book, Rules of War, released today. You got to go out and snag a copy. And I think you emphasize because of the name, Rules of War. Um, the rules have changed. So how have those rules changed for the United States and maybe for those people who protect her? Well, I, I, in the book, you know, the, the, the world, in my opinion, operates on a bit of a grayscale. And sometimes, you know, your adversaries become your allies. And that's exactly what happens when Logan and his task force find themselves working with the 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 Sabin, the the uh, secret police down there in Venezuela, uh, but they're working for a, for a mutual ends, and and that's what that's what I refer to is you know sometimes uh, alliances change and shift, and you have to work with people, it just like in reality that you may not agree with or you may not like, but sometimes the greater good demands it. Um, in the new book, Rules of War. I find it interesting that at the very beginning of chapter 20, um, the, the very first line, Logan West thinks, if we make it out of this, I am never coming back to Venezuela. <laughs> Was that purposeful? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that seems like something Logan would think. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, that seems like something I would think. <laughs> and then, um, I guess what, you threw in an earthquake because you got bored for a while? <laughs> Ah, oh, don't say sh yes. I'm pr that, that that is uh, uh, that that is that is something I'm in especially uh, uh, proud of. <laughs> it's just uh, everything is in here. Um, you call part four of your book "Last Train to Caracas," and um, I I won't go into that very much. But oh my God, what a part of that that is. Yep, I. So, so readers by now have caught on to the fact that I, I like to throw in little sarcastic titles for these main, very intense, violent, emotional sequences, um, just because just that's my sense of humor. So that's why Last Train to Caracas was the perfect title for that sequence. Um, you, in Rules of War, you wanted to take the locale 
to someplace different. But was there anything else that you specifically wanted to do with Rules of War? I mean, we know it's an action fest from beginning to end, and that's what you do. But with your fourth book, were you looking to do anything additional to that in oh, Rules of War? Yeah, absolutely. With this book, so I'm setting up books five and six. In fact, uh, one of the fan-favorite characters, and I won't give away which one, I intentionally put that character through an absolutely gut-wrenching emotional ringer. And that is because that's the focus of, of book five. And books five and six are plotted in my head already. And so I, I, you know, I always knew what I was going to be doing with this character because everyone loves this character. And so uh, that, that's, that was uh, also one of the, the big goals to accomplish with this book. And, and it's like I said, to me, the characters are what matter first and foremost, and it's that emotional connection that the readers feel. You know, I want the readers to feel the exhilaration and the adrenaline and the action, but I want them to feel the emotion, too. When you said earlier that the vice president of the United States is a bad guy, um, you weren't kidding. And, and folks, if you expect anything in particular to occur to the president of the United States, all I can say is it's not what you're thinking. So that's why you have to read the book. But then we get into the vice president and jaguars, literally jaguars. And then there was a character in... Uh, he doesn't seem to be a major character. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matthew. No, it depends on which character. Yeah, I, I don't want you to give away too too many uh, too, too many plot points. But uh, so, but the, uh, for this one, I also brought back uh, a key character from the first book and had that character appear at, like out of the blue uh, next to Logan, which causes him all his jaw to almost drop because of what's going on. Okay. All right. Okay, this is me revamping things just a little bit because, folks, you do have to read the book, Rules of War, by Matthew Betley. Um, I have to ask you this, and I don't think I'm, I'm going to Bigfoot your plot when I put this, when I mention this, but I find it interesting and I'm really curious. To me, it seems as though you insert little Easter eggs into your books about yourself, but I don't know if it's intentional or not. So I'd like to refer to this paragraph on page 138 of Rules of War by Matthew Bentley. Logan's experience included enough close calls in helicopters, including one crash into the Euphrates River in Iraq more than two and a half years ago, to last a lifetime. As fearless as he could be, he was always aware that when he flew in a helicopter, he was truly not in control, while the odds of a crash were low. After all the things that Logan had done in the Marine Corps, it was the one thing that, he all, that had always unnerved him. He despised being helpless. And flying in a CH-46 or a CH-53E across Iraq, hydraulic fluid leaking onto his pack, had reinforced to, to him just how much he was. Matthew Bentley, I gotta ask you, is that you? <laughs> did you find? Uh, oh, oh, did you find helo hydraulic fluid leaking onto one of your packs one day? Oh yeah. Well, in fact, the, the rule of thumb is you don't get worried until the hydraulic fluid stops leaking, and that's <laughs> literally because that means it's gone and you're screwed. Um, yeah, no, that, that and that happened too in, in, in Iraq, flying around in a helicopter. Yes, it's, 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 there's nothing worse than when. when when you're pretty certain your helicopter's getting shot at and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh, 
God, I read that and I thought, oh man, okay, this is all the bells and klaxons are going off in my head about this. I'm curious, Matthew Bedley, if anybody has asked you this before, I, I suspect somebody has, I have not, but I'll ask anyway. I sense that writing books is therapeutical for you, or is it? Uh, you, you know, it's funny. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. In fact, uh, I was asked that in another interview earlier today. Okay. And when I was writing Overwatch, I really didn't think it was therapeutic, but I, when I looked back on it, it, it was definitely cathartic because I, I agree that writing is a bit of wish fulfillment in that I wish this is how we would handle these international situations. I wish that our politicians would actually have some backbone and integrity and try and handle things in, in, in the right way. So, you know, I've created this fictional alternate universe where they do, and they, and they try to at least. Um, so in, in that regard, it is. But first and foremost, I want to entertain. I, I absolutely want to set, take the readers on a very wild ride each and every time, first and foremost. Uh, my, my needs are secondary, tertiary, and then whatever the term is next. <laughs> Folks, and I need to emphasize this. If you enjoy thrillers that aren't stagnant, that get up and rock and roll, and you better hang on, and you're probably going to find yourself staying up late at night, you need to read Matthew Betley. His books are fabulous, great thrillers. The action starts right off the bat. And isn't that kind of how you got into this whole thing in the first place? You you read a book, I think you were on vacation with your wife, and you read a book, and you said, this is terrible. Yeah, exactly. And I tell that story all the time because I always get asked that question. Uh, I was sober for six months. It was August of 2009. I was on vacation with my wife, and, and this uh, international spy thriller was so boring that I was viscerally angry that I had to read it, but I'm one of those people that I can't just dismiss a book once I start reading it. And, and I remember only one person got shot in the book, and it, it should have been the protagonist because the <laughs> tactics were so bad. And I turned to my wife and said, this book is awful, I can do a better job. And it, that's all it took to plant the seed. And a year later, I, I obsessed about it so much that I finally was physically compelled to sit down and started writing what became Overwatch. Um, Matthew Bedley, people have said that uh, day-to-day you are John Quick. Uh, sarcastic, irreverent, self-deprecating, you don't take yourself seriously, but when you're pissed, the Logan West comes out in you. Is that something that kind of informs and guides and kind of illuminates your writing? Oh, absolutely, and that was my intent. I, you know, when I sat down, I had no no idea what I was doing. I sat down, well... I should say I knew exactly what I wanted to do, how to do it. I was like, okay, I'm going to write what I know. That was just my instinct. And so I split my personality in a half, and I created my two main characters based on that. I mean, it was really that simple. I, I, I cannot emphasize that enough. Um, I, but no one ever sees the, uh, the, the Logan West. Plus, I'm too, too old to run and gun anyway. <laughs> uh, I... I don't think I'm speaking out of school by saying this, and I made reference to uh, to it earlier, but I understand that 
some more congratulations maybe due to you because your first book, the 2016 book Overwatch, uh, has been optioned as a movie for Thunder Road, according to an article that I read in 2018. But somebody said that something has happened since. And is yeah, there any kind so, of an update? Yeah, yeah. In, in the bad news category, he, oh, he, damn. he had signed contracts with Thunder Road. We had a producer on board, a, a screenwriter. And then we found out, and it was last year, the producer ended up going and taking a job for Sylvester Stallone and managing the entire Balboa Productions. And as a result, Thunder Road reevaluated the project, and with no producer attached, we, you know, they backed out of the contract, paid a, a part of the option, which is very common. This happens all the time. And now we're back to the drawing board again. But that, that's nothing unique. For every 100 projects that Hollywood acquires, they make one. And so we already have interest. I'm, I'm confident that this will get made some, somehow, some way. I, I'm, the, the more I watch content on Netflix and Amazon, the more inclined I'm to go that route. So we'll see what happens, but we'll be pursuing uh, things again shortly. I can only hope one thing. And I don't know the answer, so obviously I'm going to ask you, did you at least get the rights to your book back? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Great, great. Because in the future, because Matthew Bentley, I am absolutely convinced that one of your books will come to the screen, whether it's bigger or smaller. Um, And I don't know if anybody has asked you this, and maybe tons of people have. Do you see anybody in particular playing Logan West? No, not anymore. When I first started writing, it was in 2010, and I was envisioned an angry Chris Evans. If you imagine the the uh, Korean action thriller uh, Snowpiercer on the train, yes, I not saw that Captain America, Chris Evans. Right. But since then, so many things have happened, and it, you know, it, I have no idea. As, as uh, our our last producer said. It's just got to be somebody who's a really good-looking 35-year-old actor who can act. <laughs> said, okay. <laughs> okay, i got to ask you this question. It's the bottom of the hour. I'm going to have to take a break. If you got to go, I understand. If I can hold you over for maybe another five minutes. Uh, decision is up to you, sir. I fervently understand that you have gotten probably zero sleep tonight, and it's it's really late where you are. Uh, no, I can go for, uh, for – I'll go for five more minutes, sure. Okay. Alrighty, folks, we are talking to Matthew Betley. His brand new book, Rules of War, is out today in hardback. And I haven't mentioned this before, but I need to mention this again. To me, that that says a lot about you. Your very first book, Matthew Betley, Overwatch, came out in hardback. And I think, quite frankly, that is a massive testimony to the publisher believing in you and believing that you're the real deal, and I believe that too, sir. Well, I appreciate that. I uh, we're very fortunate that all four books have have come out in all formats, including audiobooks. So, Matthew Betley, we're going to take a break. Be about five minutes, folks. You're listening to Matthew Betley, author of the brand new thriller released today, Rules of War. I'm BZ, and we'll be right back after this. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m. right here on SHR Media. 
Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment? And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes the show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York, the Lid himself, Jeff Dunnett. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her housecoat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnett. Hey girls, Carry Girl Gear is here. More and more women every day are concealed carrying, participating in competitive shooting, and getting firearms training. It's not a boys club anymore, and we don't have to shop in their stores anymore either. Finally, a cool and unique clothing line just for women. Dope tees and hats for the patriotic concealed carry and 2A girl. So what are you waiting for? Go check out carrygirlgear.com today. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. The new show on the SHR Media Network, Sackheads Against Tyranny on shrmedia.com. Go there quick like a bunny, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday, live and direct on the SHR Media Network, shrmedia.com. Be there. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues, weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. 
Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I am BZ, the bloviating Zeppelin on the SHR Media Network. We are talking to thriller author Matthew Betley, whose fourth book, Rules of War, has come out today. And Matthew Betley, I just want to tell you that I got a ton of people in my chat room and essentially almost to a one uh, here's a quote from one of the people in, ch- in chat. Hey, Matthew, good interview makes me want to read your book. So folks are liking what you're, what you're saying and they want to read your book. That's the purpose. Get readers. That's good. And I, I really appreciate that, that, uh, I'm, I'm glad that people are listening and I'm glad that uh, people want to try the series out. I, I especially in a market that is saturated with thriller writers. Couple more questions, and then I know you got to go. One of them is, your books to me seem very cinematic, and by that I am saying, and especially in in the scene in the hotel earlier in the book, I kept thinking, I can see this, I can see this, I can see this happening, I can see this happening to him, I can see this happening to to Logan West and all the people that are that are occurring in there. Do you write cinematically? Because it's it's as if. That book specifically, your newest one, Rules of War, man, that would translate onto a screen. Incredibly so, in my opinion. Well, so I, I've always wanted my books to be made into movies. I, I wouldn't say I write cinematically. I write very visually. Visually, so okay. my creative process is I sit down, I know what I'm going to write that day or that hour or two or whatever I'm doing uh, for writing. And I, I put on uh, my headset, my earbuds. I listen to the musical scores to these epic action movies or, or thrillers. And I don't feel like an author. I feel like I'm a scribe. I literally am just describing what I'm seeing in my head, what I'm hearing uh, from the dialogue, and what I'm feeling. And that's it. It's really that simple for me. And, and so that, that's why my books are so visual and why I, I really try and make the reader feel like he, he is right there in the middle of it all. So you're you're writing actually very viscerally from the gut onto the totally. page, coming out of your brain, through your fingertips, and onto the keyboard. And I got to say, sir, it it works. It translates. I think it's it's a great art that you have. That that is at your fingertips. Maybe I'm kind of screwing this up, but the the dealio is if if I tell you folks that Matthew Betley is a great thriller writer, and he is, I really want you to go out and read the book to understand what I'm saying. And I don't say this readily or or easily. Once you open the page, the book is going to take off like a rocket until you stop and close the book. Period. End of statement. My yep, that and that and that's the goal with every single 
every single book that I've written that is to, to send people on a wild, emotional rocket ride, uh, you know, a roller coaster that just shakes them all over the place so that when they're done, it's a thoroughly satisfying experience. So, Matthew Bentley, thank you again for being here tonight so very damn late. I got one question, um, final one. Uh, maybe this is forecasting into the the future that you haven't even considered yet. Have you ever thought about changing genres? I know it's heresy. And is there anything other than, than what you're doing now, thrillers, that kind of appeal to you? So there's a, so there's a sequence that takes place in Maryland in Rules of War. And I wrote that sequence because two years ago, I used to joke, I could take a bunch of people working at a fast food restaurant and make it exciting. And that's how that sequence uh, in Maryland uh, resulted in this thriller. And I made it such a key, consequential, critical piece of the story. Uh, so I, I, I've often joked that my wife has said, yeah, you can't write a love story. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I could. It would just be a really intense one. <laughs> and probably a lot of people would die. <laughs> but... but you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I have considered it, um, but not any time in the future. Um, I, I, I think uh, I, I want to focus on this. We're still building the following. Uh, this, this book by far has had the most exposure out of the four, but we are still – this is a brutal business for any aspiring writers out there. Even at this level, we're, we're still building the following. And we're we're hoping that with this book, we've reached that tipping point to, to get it to the next level. Someday, Matthew Bentley, this is what I'd love to do. I think this would be incredible. I had Kurt Schlichter on about a month and a half ago. I'd love to have a show with you and Kurt Schlichter and me and just talk about stuff. Kurt is great people. And I just thought I should tell you when he was on the show, he gave kudos and a shout out to you as well. Uh, Kurt's fantastic. He's one of my very good friends. I actually talked to him earlier tonight. So he, he is he's brilliant. He's sarcastic. He's <laughs> hilarious. And, and what's so funny is that people on the left hate him and think he's this awful, horrible human being when he's actually a very sincere, caring, genuine guy. It's just that they hate what he says because they disagree with it. Well, right. And he has his own hashtag, hashtag caring. Okay, so... <laughs> Which is so fantastic. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Okay, Matthew Bentley, please tell us where we can find your newest book, Rules of War, any websites, social media that you'd like to talk about. Um, well, the, bo- the books are available from a- everywhere, Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and then I, people should definitely follow me on Twitter, at Matthew Bentley, and then there's also my Facebook fan page, which is uh, Matthew Bentley as well. It's it's all pretty straightforward, and then, and then of course, MatthewBentley.com. <laughs> Okay, so again, Matthew Bentley, his new book, Rules of War. Thank you ever so kindly for staying up so late to be here tonight. I uh, hope to have you back on on your with your newest book, number five. So thank you again, sir. Uh, God bless you. Take care, and you be safe, sir. Thanks, BZ. You take care. I really appreciate it. And, and thanks to all the listeners out there. Thank you very much. That's Matthew Bentley. What a guy. What a book. And I'm not kidding. When I got this book, I did mm, two things. I opened it up. I started reading. 
And then it's like it never stopped. It was and is an incredible book. So I highly recommend you go out and buy his book. Uh, Matthew Bentley is a great guy. Recovering Alcoholic. As uh, If you didn't pick it up on the first hour, excuse me, the first half hour, actually about the first 10 minutes, uh, Matthew Bentley just got his 10-year chip from Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, God, fabulous. Uh, my hat is off to you. And anybody that earns 10 years, that's not easy, folks. That's not easy at all. Thanks to everybody in chat. I I got the Alaskan in chat. Mike, Alan, Simone, Dave, one viewer, and a bunch of other people who shall remain nameless. Funny thing is, I was talking about Kurt Schlichter. Kurt Schlichter can be found at townhall.com. And as everybody knows, um, I'm a big Kurt Schlichter guy. Kurt's newest article from yesterday at townhall.com is fabulous. And the title of the article is, Eat Popcorn as Democrats Eat Themselves. The pain of your enemy should be your joy. And we conservatives are pegging the joy meter right about now, watching the political sepsis that is uh, Congress kid AOC and her merry band of idiots running rampant within the flabby lobby body of the Democrat Party. There's only one solution to the gangrene caused by her and that brother marrying weirdo who cheers for the other side in Black Hawk Down and, and Ms. Palestine. You have to amputate. But the donkeys can't do it. That would cripple or kill the patient. So what to do about the infection ravaging their party? It's quite the dilemma. Quite the hilarious dilemma. Pass the Orville Redenbacher while we watch them cannibalize themselves in Donner Party 2 election boogaloo. Oh, Nancy Pelosi, you you thought you could harness the eager energy of these socialist sisters of mediocrity for your own purposes, but... You didn't quite understand the situation. For limo libs like you, literally, because you're a zillionaire, all this for the little guy stuff was always just a pose and a cynical scam. You don't believe it. You just exploit it because you figured that the shiftless saps and layabout suckers are your constituency. They'll like it. They always do. You talk a good game about helping and caring for the downtrodden. But if one of the local bums tried to use the sidewalk in your neighborhood as a John, you'd have the the scat Francisco PD all over him like Jerry Nadler on a donut. That's pretty efficient visual, I'd say. You've gotten used to posing as the heroic rebel voice speaking out in a stirring defense of the status quo that made you rich and powerful. All the other Democrats used to feel the same way. You were all in on the scam. Wink, nod, and back to business as usual. But these dummies, leveraging their youthful inexperience, actually believe the nonsense they spew, that you all spew, and they are now learning that you really don't. Uh Uh-oh. And now you're realizing that it's not just normals they want to cart off to the guillotine. Oh, you're on the Tumbrell Manifest, too, ready to be hauled down that bumpy path to a permanent haircut. Then they'll take over your party 
and you'll be just one of many frowning liberal heads sitting in a basket. Calling us normal people racists and sexist and all those other ists and obes, that was all good fun and good business for the Democrats up until now. It was nothing personal. We weren't these horrible things, and Liberal Incorporated knew we weren't these liberal things, but saying we were uh, riled that the rubes and, and churned the votes, and so the libs did it. But the AOC cretins actually believe this stuff. They hate America and Americans, where the Democrat leadership merely holds America and Americans in contempt. They want to burn the whole house down. But the Democrat bigwigs, they live in that house. And as Kurt Schlichter writes, it's delightful to watch. So now have Stephen Hawking's protege. We now have Stephen Hawking's protege calling Nancy Pelosi a racist, which is just so perfect and so wonderful. We saw Joe Biden get the same treatment from Kamala, not Mrs. Willie Brown Harris, who's trying to balance being in on the grift enough to satisfy the liberal elite with being woke enough to appease the radicals. Nancy and Joe were quite flustered by these accusations. They just couldn't understand it. Why, bogus claims of racists were something you made about conservatives. Apparently, they never read The Boy Who Cried Wolf. But then only hate criminals would do that, considering that's how the, the very title's assumptions about the gender identity the main character betrays its cis-het transphobic premise also, it's wolfist. Karma, baby. After decades of promiscuous epithets disrespecting normal people, this development is some of the best schadenfreude ever. Okay. I don't see that word utilized in, by Kurt Schlichter very much, and you folks know that I've used that for years. Go find out what that means. Because we are dealing a double, triple dose of schadenfreude these days with regard to the Democrats. Kurt Schlichter continues. And what's especially glorious is how the Democrats are too far down the radical road to turn back. Being old and secure and satisfied to just keep milking the system makes you complacent. The Democrats desperately need the vitality of the young radicals these twits have brought along. The Prague kooks will be the ones doing the heavy electoral lifting in 2020, like knocking on doors, stealing votes, and doing social media stuff with their Twitter machines. The Biden-Pelosi axis of the elderly has no energy left to fight, especially when on the other side is a pumped-up Donald Trump and his militant populist base. We Republicans had a similar revolt against our own ossified, out-of-touch garbage establishment, but the GOP rebels largely seized power. Oh, some of the shoddy remnants of conservative ink still linger on the fringes. Uh, fringes. Losers like Mitt Romney pose and preen and posture in the Senate. The Cruz shilling hacks still try to grift the suckers with promises of exciting Lido deck panels moderated by Bill Crystal with topics like 10 fun new unnecessary wars for 2021 and the conservative case for repeating whatever liberal talking points will get me more MSNBC hits. Oh, Kurt Schlichter, that's delicious. But the Ahoy division is out of power. The GOP had its revolution, and our basket is full of empty heads. Remember Jeff Flake? How about Bob Corker? Pre please clap for unemployed nobody Jeb. 
we saw that our conservative betters were conserving nothing and not being better either. We threw them the hell out. The next generation of Democrats see that their crusty master caste is doing nothing but preserving its own power and that the oldsters aren't really down with the revolution. After all, a revolution tosses out the ruling class and the dino Dems are quite happy about being the ruling class. So what to do? The problem Democrats made for themselves by trying to harness the power of hate-fueled idiocy for their own purposes is coming back to bite them right on the Ted Lou. They'll have to amputate the radicals, which they can't do and survive. Or they'll have to submit to the radicals, which they can't do and survive. Huh. It seems like the Democrats can't live with them and can't live without them. Uh, too bad. <laughs> we are going to need more popcorn. And that is why I love reading Kurt Schlichter. Oh, my God. Tons of things have happened today. I can go to the Drudge Report and regale you with some of them, but I'm, I'm going to tonight... Um, kind of start at the at the start a little bit, and I'm going to tell you, and this should come as no surprise to anybody that listens to me with any kind of regularity. This is an article that just came out by Jeff Dunnitz, and if you don't read Jeff Dunnitz, uh, with luck, his show is going to be back on Wednesday nights. I have him on the show here quite frequently. I should have him on again, really. But Jeff writes a ton of articles today. Two, three, four, five articles per day. Go to lidblog.com to read his stuff. And I'm going to read one of his stories now because this is why I read Jeff. I read Matthew Betley when I want to read a thriller, when I want to find out what's happening from the East Coast perspective, because that's where Jeff is. I go to lidblog.com because you won't read a part of the truth. You'll read a ton of the truth, which is what you won't get from what I term the American media maggots. This just came out today from Jeff. Democrats and MSM cherry-picked parts of Trump's tweets to make him look racist. When clearly, you're, I would imagine that you're shocked about that. Now, if I had a producer, what you would have heard is... Dems and MSM cherry-picked parts of Trump's tweets to make him look racist. But I don't have a producer, and so that's not what you heard. Jeff writes, Why can't the media read? Yesterday morning, President Trump set out a series of tweets that the Democrats and the MSM are calling racist the problem is they picked out and transmitted only one phrase within those tweets to give his words the appearance of being racist. And according to their reports, the president said, why don't they go back to the countries they came from? What he really said is, you think you can do it? Go back to where you came from and fix their problems and come back and teach us what you did. Wow. That's just slightly different than what was portrayed to you, wasn't it? Yeah, just slightly. His exact words were, 
So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and the most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-ridden infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it is done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. Now, do you see what the Democrats did there? I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. You see how they, they cherry-pick and cherry-pick. Out of all of that. So he also said, and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the country uh, and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us. That's what he actually wrote. Now, some of the the media itself, they decide that they're going to add to what Donald Trump has said. Some of the media adds the phrase, you can't leave fast enough to their cherry-picked reports, ignoring that full sentence I read to you. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. It's become too easy for people to use terms such as racism, Nazi, apartheid, and others in today's America. Last week, last week AOC was calling Nancy Pelosi racist. Uh, the week before, it's like the racist of the week. The week before, it was Joe Biden, who was a racist. Uh, this past weekend, uh, Alyssa Milano complained, uh, compared VP Pence, our current VP, to Heinrich Himmler, the architect of the, the Holocaust. Now, a, a tweet that Trump sent out challenging the squad, which is apparently what they're called now, the squad, freshman Democratic members of Congress, Ayanna Presley. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where she came from. She means nothing to me. And she's not the number. She's not the big three, basically. So she's a zero. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, AOC. We've heard of her before. Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar to show that they could do better, has been cherry-picked. That has all been cherry-picked by the American media maggots to make sure that the president appears racist. Period. End of statement. I think what I'm going to do when I come back after the top-of-the-hour break is I'm going to put to bed the Charlottesville racism of Donald Trump. And the reason I'm going to do that tonight is I want to give you folks a repository, a place to go where you can point to your friends and your friends' friends and say, hey, do you want to hear or listen to what really happened? And do you want to hear the words of what Donald Trump actually said about Charlottesville? Because what the American media maggots are saying about that is pure, unadulterated bull. So when we come back from the break, I'm going to go into that and explain that in great detail. And you're going to hear, I almost guarantee you, you're going to hear, hear things from Donald Trump that you've never heard before. And that's purposeful. He explains exactly what he meant. But the point isn't to portray Donald Trump as 
accurate or to portray Donald Trump as um, moderate because, well, he's not a moderate. But the whole point of the system is to just insert Donald Trump. He's uh, whatever ist or ob of the hour you want to make him to be. So racist. I'll ask you a question, folks. What does the anymore in 2019? What does the word racist mean to you? What does the word Nazi mean to you? What do almost any words that are bandied about every minute of every hour like that mean to you? It's almost like pablum dribbling out of the mouth of some leftist. They don't know what they mean. They've they've lost their real meaning. It's 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 such a cheap fallback position. And that's because the Democrats have nothing. They have nothing. They possess nothing. So the Democrat-led House voted to condemn the president's tweets. That's, by the way, the same, the same very same Democrat Party that, that, uh, ref- oh, that refused, isn't this odd, that refused to condemn the anti-Semitic tweets and speech by some of the very same members President Trump was tweeting about. Now, Jeff Dunnett's in this article goes on to say, one of the reasons I voted for Donald Trump is that he would continually stir the pot by saying what he believes instead of spewing the usual political BS. When a politician states their position without really saying anything, Sometimes, however, I wish he would lose his Twitter password, not only because of what he tweets, but also how his tweets can be cherry-picked and misconstrued by the mainstream media. I understand, I get it, but the reverse holds true as well. Oh my gosh, I've gone past the break. So I'll tell you what, we're going to come back and then you're going to hear something you may have never heard before. The actual truth and the actual words uttered by Donald Trump with regard to Charlottesville. Don't go anywhere. Please come right back. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a lapdog media, and deceptive Islam. The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues, weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. 
From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York, the Lid himself, Jeff Dunnett. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her housecoat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnett. Hey girls, Carry Girl Gear is here. More and more women every day are concealed carrying, participating in competitive shooting, and getting firearms training. It's not a boys club anymore, and we don't have to shop in their stores anymore either. Finally, a cool and unique clothing line just for women. Dope tees and hats for the patriotic concealed carry and 2A girl. So what are you waiting for? Go check out carrygirlgear.com today. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. show on the SHR Media Network, Sackheads Against Tyranny. On shrmedia.com, go there quick like a bunny, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday, live and direct on the SHR Media Network, shrmedia.com. Be there. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike. Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m. right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics. Oh, maybe some news and entertainment? And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it is the second hour now of the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcats Loon Radio Show. As I broadcast behind enemy lines in occupied California, two miles two miles east of the locus of evil on the entire left coast, the Bill Mill, the Capitol building in Sacramento, California, at 10th and L downtown, where late at night, as I leave that door and go out to my kraut car out on the street from the studio, I can, I can hear the death of common sense wailing and wafting in the breeze because it dies in that Capitol building. 
and I will always smell the wafting, noxious, odiferous scent of brimstone and sulfur, the evil that does, in fact, emanate from that Capitol building downtown. Uh, The phone lines are going to be open directly after I tell you a little bit about Charlottesville. So if you're interested in calling, uh, the number is 209-284-3210, and uh, the phone lines are going to be open right after this because I want to explain, I want to take the time right now to play some audio cuts that I almost guarantee you've never heard before. You're going to hear the actual truth about Charlottesville. I want to set the record straight about President Donald Trump and Charlottesville, and I want to end the leftist crap about his quotes regarding the incident, always taken completely and purposely out of context and and full of not even half-truths. I want you to remember that these audio cuts will always be here in this show, and I've written about this on my blog So if you want to have people hear what really did happen and know and understand what Donald Trump really said, refer them to this show. Top of the hour, top of the second hour in tonight's show. Um, Tons of audio, tons of attributions um, to set leftists straight and to combat their crap. Uh, Because let's not forget that presidential candidate Joe Biden... Uh, said this, and I think it was on June 11th. uh, And I think that, look, I I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America for three reasons. Right. One, uh, he is a genuine threat to uh, our our core values. And if you wondered about that, remember what happened in Charlottesville. I never thought I'd see that happen in my lifetime again. Okay. That's why I'm playing this. It's all about Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Charlottesville. Okay, Joe. And in every other leftist. People come climbing out of the fields and from under rocks, carrying torches, contorted faces, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile that was chanted in Europe and in Germany in the 30s. Same exact language. Carrying, carrying Nazi flags, accompanied by white supremacists, accompanied by the Ku Klux Klan. And confronted by decent people. Oh, you mean like the person that you personally, Joe Biden, fetted in Congress, Robert Byrd, one of the top racists in the KKK. That was just nifty for you, Joe Biden, wasn't it? People who said, not in my city. And what happened? When he was asked to comment on it, he said, quote, there were very fine people. In both groups. Okay, let's stop right there because that's the continuous mantra that they want you to hear. They want you to hear nothing else than that line, period. So we quite clearly need to correct the so-called record, according to leftists. That's their line. That's their mantra. Now, Real Clear Politics had an article that said Trump didn't call neo-Nazis fine people, and here's proof. News anchors and pundits have repeated lies about Donald Trump and race so often that some of these narratives seem true. Stop. What did we know about Joseph Goebbels? 
the propaganda minister of the Reich. He said, repeat a lie sufficient amount of times and it will become the truth. And that's the exact same thing that's occurring with leftists here in the United States. Even to Americans who embrace the fruits of the president's policies, the most pernicious and pervasive of these lies is the Charlottesville hoax, the fake news fabrication that he described the neo-Nazis who rallied in Charlottesville. That was on uh, uh, August, let's see, August 2017 as fine people. Okay, so the Unite the Right rally occurred on August 11th and 12th of 2017. Here's why. Because of the removal of a number of Confederate monuments throughout the East and South as a result of the Charleston church shooting in 2015. So counter-protesters showed up, and by their, president, uh, their presence, the, the violence escalated. Here's what happened. More than 30 people were injured. On the afternoon of the 12th, James Fields rammed his 2010 Dodge Challenger into protesters at between 23 to 28 miles an hour. He killed Heather Heyer and injured 19 other people. He was convicted of first-degree murder and other crimes in 2018. He received a life sentence for that, and justly so. The article from Real Clear Politics continues. Just last week, I exposed this falsehood yet again when CNN contributor Keith Boykin falsely stated when violent people were marching with tiki torches in Charlottesville, the president said they were very fine people. When I objected and detailed that Trump's fine people on both sides observation clearly related to those on both sides of the Confederate monument debate and specifically excluded the violent supremacists, anchor Aaron Burnett interjected, he, meaning Trump, he didn't say it was on the monument debate at all. No, they didn't even try to use that defense. It's a good one, but no one's ever tried to use it. So you just used it now. All right. So let's get to the real words of President Donald Trump first, from August 15th, of 2017. This is a press conference. I'm not putting anybody on a moral plane. What I'm saying is this. You had a group on one side and you had a group on the other and they came at each other with clubs and it was vicious and it was horrible and it was a horrible thing to watch. But there is another side. There was a group on this side. You can call them the left. You've just called them the left that came violently attacking the other group. So you can say what you want, but that's the way it is. You said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. Well, I do think there's blame, yes. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it. And you, didn't, you didn't hear this, did you? That's purposeful. You don't have any doubt about it either. And... and and if you reported it accurately, you would say. They showed up in Charlottesville to protest. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group. Excuse me. Excuse me. I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? 
So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down? Excuse me. Are we going to take down? Oh, you didn't hear this stuff either, did you? Are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now, are we going to take down his statue? So you know what? It's fine. You're changing history. You're changing culture. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group also, you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the, with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. You, got a, you, had a lot of bad, you had a lot of bad people in the other group, too. Sir, I'm sorry, I just didn't understand what you were saying. You were saying the press has treated white nationalists unfairly? No. I just didn't understand what you were saying. No. There were people in the- Do you see what they're trying to do with their questions? Everyone is bait. Bait, 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 bait. At rally, and I looked the night before, if you look, there were people protesting very quietly the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. I'm sure in that group there were some bad ones. The following day, it looked like they had some rough, bad people, neo-Nazis, white nationalists, whatever you want to call them. But you had a lot of people in that group that were there to innocently protest and very legally protest because, you know, I don't know if you know. Okay, stop just for a second. As far as the leftists, Democrats and American media maggots are concerned, you cannot have a a valid protest of removing history. Say or think what you will about the Confederacy. It occurred. It was in history. Uh, we're having, we're starting to have actual book burnings in the United States of America. We've had statues removed and pulled down. This is the elimination of history. This isn't just some pie in the sky thought and the people who don't like this. Well, yes, they do get a chance to protest the removal of history, like it or not. They had a permit. The other group didn't have a permit. So I only tell you... Oh, you you never heard about that either, though, did you? No, you didn't. Do this. There are two sides to a story. I thought what took place was a horrible moment for our country. A horrible moment. But there are two sides to the country. Does anybody have a final... Does anybody have, you have an infrastructure. What makes you think you can get an infrastructure bill? You didn't get health care. Well, you know, I'll tell you, we came very close with health care. Unfortunately, John McCain decided to vote against it at the last minute. You'll have to ask John McCain why he did that. But we came very close to health care. We will end up getting health care, but we'll get the infrastructure. And actually, infrastructure is something that I think we'll have bipartisan support on. I actually. Okay, so the press conference continues in that fashion. So. No one can apparently concede on either side that there were at least a few persons on the scene who didn't have blood and violence on their minds, right? Nobody can concede that. Not even a smattering few? Uh, Of course not. Not according to the leftists, Democrats, and American media maggots. Historically speaking, the greatest amount of violence has always been and continues to be on the left these days from Antifa. Okay. 
Again, I continue. If those words were insufficient, let's go back to this press conference originally on August 12th. And like I said, you likely never heard both of them or either of them fully. This is August 12th, 2017. As you know, this was a small press conference, but a very important one. And it was scheduled to talk about the great things that we're doing with the secretary on the Veterans Administration. And we will talk about that very much so in a little while. But I thought I should put out a comment as to what's going on in Charlottesville. So, again, I want to thank everybody for being here. In particular, I want to thank our incredible veterans. And thank you, fellas. Let me shake your hand. So you have a bunch of veterans that are there to speak about the VA. And then President Trump indicates that he wants to speak and address the violence that occurred in Charlottesville. Now, this is interesting, as Dave points out in chat. Yeah, Trump had to do another presser condemning again the white supremacists. Because apparently condemning them the first time wasn't enough for everyone. Great people. They're great people. But we're closely following the terrible events unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. It's been going on for a long time in our country. Okay, that pissed off the leftists and sent them 210 over 190 because he said both sides when, as far as leftists, uh, the Eldam are concerned, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Us leftists, we can't be violent. That can't be us. Not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. This has been going on for a long, long time. It is no place in America... What is vital now is a swift restoration of law and order and the protection of innocent lives. It has no place in America. You didn't hear that cut either. Trumpeted day in and day out. Our in. No, you didn't. No citizen should ever fear for their safety and security in our society. And no child should ever be afraid to go outside and play or be with their parents and have a good time. I just... Gee, you could equally say that about Chicago, couldn't you? And apply it to Chicago, couldn't you? But that's not an, that's not an issue that, as a leftist Democrat or the American media maggot member, that's not an issue that you deign to go near. I got off the phone with the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, and we agreed that the hate and the division must stop. And must stop right now. We have to come together as Americans with love for our nation and true affection. Really, and I, I say this so strongly, true affection for each other. Our country is doing very well in so many ways. We have record, just absolute record employment. We have... Unemployment, the lowest it's been in almost 17 years. We have companies pouring into our country, Foxconn and car companies and so many others. They're coming back to our country. 
We're renegotiating trade deals to make them great for our country and great for the American worker. We have so many incredible things happening in our country. So when I watch Charlottesville, to me, it's very, very sad. I want to salute the great work of the state and local police in Virginia. Incredible people. Law enforcement. Incredible people. And also the national... Okay, so he gave kudos to law enforcement. You're not going to hear that from leftists. Now, screw law enforcement. Guard, they've really been working smart and working hard. They've been doing a terrific job. Federal authorities are also providing tremendous support to the governor. He thanked me for that. And we are here to provide whatever other assistance is needed. We are ready, willing, and able. Above all else, we must remember this truth. No matter our color, creed, religion, or political party, we are all Americans first. We love our country. We love our God. We love our flag. We're proud of our country. Okay, I can hear lots of leftists tuning out right now all across the fruited plain as he mentioned God. We're proud of who we are. So we want to get the situation straightened out in Charlottesville, and we want to study it. And we want to see what we're doing wrong as a country where things like this can happen. My administration is restoring the sacred bonds of loyalty between this nation and its citizens. But our citizens must also restore the bonds of trust and loyalty between one another. We must love each other, respect each other, and cherish our history and our future together. So important. We have to respect each other. Ideally, we have to love each other. And now to the Veterans Administration, where I'm so proud of David Shulkin and the job you've done. What you've done in such a short period of time, I think you folks would attest to it. If anybody disagrees, you can leave the room right now. (laughs) (laughs) But David really has. He's a star, what he's been able to do. So, David, I'd like to thank you very much for your leadership and for the profound improvements. Okay, so Trump goes on to talk about the VA. This came before the second statement. This wasn't enough for the leftists. This wasn't enough enough for the Democrats. And it sure as hell wasn't enough for the American media maggots. There had to be more. So Dave says in chat that, well, I can understand his making that initial statement, but it was over the top for Trump to have come back and made the clarification. Okay, I can understand that. I can understand that. But I think Trump was attempting to allay fears and shoot down whatever leftists he could place in his sights. And they're all over the place, all the time. But now you know the true words. You can always refer to this. You can always go to bloviatingzeppelin.net. And you can go to my post, The Truth About Charlottesville. If you want it immured in words, go there. If you want it immured in audio, send somebody a reference to this, uh, to this, um, this portion of the show in the top of the second hour. Because really... Um, now you know the rest of the story. 
And it is the rest of the story, the story that you're not going to hear. But there's more. But wait, there's more. There's always more. I find this very interesting. There's an article that came out uh, two days ago. No, I'm sorry, yesterday. Yesterday from the Washington Examiner. And, and especially in lieu of um, what, what people were saying about Trump, about President Trump, is um, the, the Democrats have possibly made a, a very big mistake here. The Democrats have possibly given um, some ammunition to the Republicans that the Republicans, well, it, it stands to reason um, they have the opportunity to make more out of this. And the question is, um, will they use this to their advantage? In other words, all this stuff from the triumvirate or the four women, the squad, I have to ask you, do, you, do you think this is going to come back and bite them in the butt come 2020? I do. I do think that it's, it's going to come back. And when I made reference to leftist violence uh, not long ago. And I may as well start this out now because well, we haven't been here in a while. But I find the first story happy and yet very, very illuminating at the same time. It's time for Happy happy Stories and Good Times. But this is something that you do not hear addressed by the leftists, the Democrats, and the American media maggots. This is a happy story. In one sense, armed man shot and killed after throwing incendiary devices at the Washington, state of Washington, ICE detention center. Police in Washington state say an armed man was shot and killed on Saturday, this past Saturday, after trying to attack a local ICE Immigration and Customs Enforcement Detention Center. The Seattle Times said that they reported the unidentified man appeared outside of the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma with a rifle, and he's identified now, and threw incendiary devices at both the facility and nearby propane tanks at one point, setting a vehicle on fire. Officers responded about 4 a.m., called out to the guy, Shots were fired, uh, and he was killed. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a happy state. That's a, a, a happy story. If you're stupid and you're a leftist, and make no mistake, he was, he paid the ultimate price. Antifa, again, make no mistake, is a local domestic terror group. They are a domestic terror group. Period. End of statement. Um, this was a story that was underreported. This definitely goes as a happy story. Um, let's see. Yeah, I got just enough time for this, and then I'm going to take a break. This is definitely a, a happy story as far as I'm concerned. This is from, again, the Washington Examiner. Jury finds Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher not guilty of war crimes. The jury assigned to the case of accused Special Warfare Chief Edward Gallagher 
found the decorated Navy steel not guilty of murder and attempted murder after a whirlwind trial that included bombshell revelations and twists. The verdict was reached by the five Marines and two sailors Tuesday, that's about two weeks ago, after the prosecution and defense made their closing arguments the day before. The jury did find Gallagher guilty of unlawfully taking a picture with the corpse of the teenage ISIS fighter he was accused of killing. Gallagher, 40, found not guilty. And I think that is rightly so. Folks, we're going to be back right after this. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Hey, this is Michael Wright. And I'm Shannon Wright. Join us for The Right Way with Shannon and Mike, Monday through Thursday from 7 to 9 a.m. right here on SHR Media. Why are they joining us? For fun things like sports, politics, Oh, maybe some news and entertainment? And all kinds of other things. Money and recipes and events, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so join us Monday through Thursday, 7 to 9 a.m. here on shrmedia.com. From a public locker inside a dilapidated Long Island rail station comes a show designed to piss off liberals using truth, facts, and ridicule. The Lid Radio Show, featuring the conservative voice from the People's Republic of New York. The Lid himself, Jeff Dunnitz. Tune in every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com. At Lid Radio, we fight for the truth, justice, and a good kosher T-bone. If you don't listen, Hillary Clinton might sneak into your bedroom in her house coat late at night and blame you for her election loss. It's the Lid Radio Show with Jeff Dunnitz. Hey girls, Carry Girl Gear is here. More and more women every day are concealed carrying, participating in competitive shooting, and getting firearms training. It's not a boys' club anymore, and we don't have to shop in their stores anymore either. Finally, a cool and unique clothing line just for women. Dope tees and hats for the patriotic concealed carry and 2A girl. So what are you waiting for? Go check out carrygirlgear.com today. It's your business diva here, Melanie Collette. I am inviting you to a front row seat as I discuss some of the most intriguing details of wealth and finance with today's movers and shakers in the world of business. Listen in and discover financial truths on a global, domestic, and household scale. Uncover topics that will impact your wallet today and in the future. Money Talk with Melanie airs Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. East, 2 p.m. West, right here on SHR Media and High Plains Pundit Talk Radio. You can't afford to miss it. The new show on the SHR Media Network, Sackheads Against Tyranny. On shrmedia.com, go there quick like a bunny, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, every Wednesday, live and direct on the SHR Media Network, shrmedia.com. Be there. For 50 years, I've seen the American people blinded by corrupt politicians, a left dog media, and deceptive Islam. 
The one thing the elites fear is one man with a cane. I'm Dave Milner. Join me through Spreaker, iTunes, and SoundCloud, through SHR Media and the Western Free Radio Network for half a century of experienced perspective on political and social issues weekly on The Unpleasant Blind Guy. And catch me on Jeff Mitchell's EDL Radio on blogtalkradio.com. There's no surrender ever. Because truth is not always pleasant. Broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California, a mere two miles from the state capital, the bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show can be heard every Tuesday and Thursday night at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 p.m. Eastern, only on the SHR Media Network. Go to shrmedia.com to listen. You can also watch on the SHR Media Facebook page and the SHR Media YouTube channel. No goldfish were abused in the making of this ad. Conservative media done right. You're listening to the SHR Media Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show, where I am broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California from the sumptuous, palatial, and resplendent SHR Media Studios. Great happy story coming up. I got somebody on the phone who wants to talk. If that needs to be you for whatever reason, if you want to chat, if you want to talk, call me 209-284-3210. Wait a minute. Let's change screens. Because if you happen to be watching the show, uh, you can, if I can get this to change, go ahead. Come on. There we go. Come on. X split. Do it for me. There you go. There's the number. If you want to call in, 209-284-3210. 209-284-3210. One great happy story, and then I'll go right to the phone. This is the one that I was referencing earlier. I lost it in the massive crush of tabs above in my computer, and I found it during the break. This is a great story from the Washington Examiner. Dislike for Ilhan Omar and AOC could tip the House to Republicans in 2020. So says, uh uh-oh, an internal Democrat poll? An internal? One of their own polls? And the answer is, well, apparently so. An internal Democratic poll... That is circulating among party leaders shows Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York and Ilhan Omar of Minnesota might be a liability to their party in the 2020 election. The poll whose detailed uh, whose details were published by Axios this past Sunday surveyed over a thousand white voters with two or less years of college education. It found that 74 percent of those polled recognized Ocasio-Cortez, while uh, Cortez, while only 22% of them had a positive view of her. Additionally, 53% of those polled recognized Omar, while only 9% had a favorable view of her. A top Democrat involved in the 2020 congressional races said these numbers risk tipping seats in the 2020 election. 
If all voters hear about is AOC, it could put the majority at risk, they said. She's getting all the news, and she's defining everyone else's races. Stop, just for a second. Gotta, gotta ask you guys a question. Those listening live, those who are listening in podcasts, shout out the answer to yourself. And if you're driving, it's going to seem that you're kind of messed up if you're talking to yourself in the car or the truck. But answer this question. Was AOC getting that New York, uh, that New York uh, seat a fluke? Or can she do it again? Because she's going to once. Okay. All right. I get it. Twice then she could have some pull. She could have some power. I think the big question is, can she do it twice? Well, that's going to be really interesting. Okay, we got somebody on the line. Who is it, mystery caller? What do you have to say, sir or ma'am? This is the unpleasant blind guy. How are you tonight, sir? Great, and I want to mention this is Dave Milner, who is, yes, he's legally blind. I don't think he's that unpleasant. I mean, really... Uh, Dave, are you that unpleasant? I don't think you are. Well, uh, you know, okay, unpleasant to the point that really, man, I'm sorry I wasn't here more last week, but it was nuttier than a payday bar. But I can tell you this. That's I can tell nutty. you why it is that the Democrats are bringing up this two-year-old set of press conferences that uh, that President Trump gave, and actually it's not even the set of press conferences, it's just this one line, you know, this, well, they're, well, they're good people. I, I can't do a good Trump. Nah. I, know. But I can tell you why they're bringing it up. Okay. Uh, first of all, and Jack mentioned this in chat, and, and it's brilliant because this is a side benefit. They, uh, they're probably more of their internal polling is showing that this Epstein stuff is really hurting them. They can't attach any of it to Trump. Okay. Like they'd like to, like they're constantly trying to, uh, but, if you look at what the left does and what they say, they've been up to their necks in, provo- in promoting pedophilia now for a long time. Go back uh, to the Unpleasant Blind Guy page at Spreaker.com. I did a show last summer called Pedos, and there is some freaky, scary stuff up in there. They want to make the left in both Europe and the United States want to eventually make pedophilia a civil right. So they definitely want to take attention away from that. Now, here's the other thing they want to take attention away from. This is the main thing they want to take attention away from. Uh, You and I and everybody else has heard the left say, Trump's a racist, Trump's a racist, with zero proof. Not one bit of proof. The president has not done anything, quote-unquote, racist that I can think of. So they've had to go back and and pull out uh, and cherry-pick these just few words from this Set of press conferences. Now you played three. I thought there were only two. Okay, and me being the stubborn guy that I am, uh, I as president would have thought, okay, uh, coming out and condemning the violent ones in both camps is sufficient, and for the rest of it, you guys can bite me. Uh, okay, Trump felt it necessary to come out and try and uh, clarify things. Okay, that's that's fine, and, and he did say some pretty fine and good stuff in there about us needing to uh, to come together as a people and love each other. That was good. But the left still can't find anything actually racist that this president has done. So they've got to dig this thing up, change it around, 
uh, do the, the, the Joseph Goebbels thing like you talked about and, uh, and make it into a racist statement on President Trump's part. That's just how I see it, man. And I want to wish everybody, by the way, hey, um, today, if you're um, in Central Time or out on the West Coast or the mountains, is still July the 16th, <laughs> 50 years ago. This was the day that the Apollo 11 vehicle launched out of Cape Kennedy. So, BZ, I want to wish you a happy moon week, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dave. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Folks, the phone line is open if anybody wants to call in. It's 209-284-3210. 209 284 3210. I want to shift gears here for a second. Got about 15, 16 minutes left before the end of the show. Something was supposed to have occurred this week, but didn't. However, apparently next week, it may, the uh, 24th. And the 24th, let's see, what day is the 24th? Okay, next Wednesday is theoretically when this is supposed to happen. What didn't happen? Well, if you remember, Robert Mueller was tasked with coming before the House. Uh, I think it was the Ways and not the Ways and Means, uh, one of the House committees, uh, and testify about the Mueller report itself. Although my guess would be he's not a big fan of showing up. Uh, I think he was supposed to testify before two House committees, as a matter of fact. And so Jerry Nadler, Democrat, the little rotund one who is uh, does a I think he can do backup for Jabba the Hutt if there's ever a new Star Wars movie and they decide that they're going to resurrect Jabba the Hutt. Um, Jerry Nadler could be the protege for that. Uh, so House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. And I think uh, they want him to appear in front of the House Intelligence Committee. Um Nadler is in charge. He's the chair of the Judiciary Committee, and then Adam Schiff is in charge of the House Intelligence Committee. They're going to have him testify July 17th about the findings of the Russia investigation. They can't, they, leftists, Democrats, and the American media maggots can't give this up. They're not going to give it up. And if, if you think that they are then I think that you have another thing coming, so to speak. Mueller, I don't think, I'm not sure that he's prepared for this. Because here's the deal. The leftists hate him. He's potentially hated by both sides of the aisle, if you think about it. He's hated because he did not drop the H-bomb on Donald Trump. He didn't go nearly far enough as far as they're concerned to blow Donald Trump out of the water. So he is despised by them. I think Nadler's attempt is to somehow try to resurrect, if he can, and I don't think it's possible, Robert Mueller. It just can't be done. Robert Mueller is going to equivocate his report was a massive amount of equivocation. In these reports, you're supposed to essentially go yay or nay, one of the two. He didn't even do that. So I thought this is fabulous. The Democrats are going to have their own agenda. They're going to attempt to resurrect Robert Mueller if that can be done. 
On the other hand, those across the aisle, the Republicans are going to attempt to acquire actual answers to actual questions that they have to him. And in this process, I found a great article. This is fabulous. That is from the Daily Caller, 27 questions that Congress should ask Mueller. The first one that I would ask myself is, in terms of you said that uh, Trump didn't have anything to do with Russian collusion. The first one should theoretically be, okay, what did you know? And when specifically did you know it? Because that is essentially all that you were tasked to do. The rest of it was fluff. That's one of the questions that I want to know. These are 27 questions that essentially that Mueller report left unanswered at all. Um, The first one, like I said, being, when did you... Robert Mueller, when did you determine that there was, in fact, no conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia? And that's going to tell you a great deal about the report himself, the validity of that report. He can answer that question. Now, you can be sure that that's a question that the leftists, Democrats, they don't want asked. Another question would be, what areas of investigation were authorized in former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein's August 2nd, 2017 scope memo. In other words, really, Robert Mueller, what was your very specific scope? Why did Rosenstein wait more than two months to lay out the scope of the investigation? Can he answer that? Sure he can, and he should. So the other question should be, did President Trump obstruct the FBI or special counsel's investigation? That should be something very easily answered. Would you have charged President Trump with a crime if not for the Justice Department policy against indicting sitting presidents? Because if you notice, if you remember from the Mueller report, he said that as far as he was concerned, he couldn't even go there. Well, wait, if he couldn't even go there, why did you have him conduct the investigation in the first place? Here's another little tidbit, another little question. Hey, Bob, what was the official reason for removing Peter Strzok from your special counsel team? Do you think or did his text messages actually indicate bias against Trump? And here's something that was not completely as far. And and if I'm wrong, tell me in chat. Call me up and tell me if I'm wrong. Because as far as I can recall, this wasn't even remotely addressed and should have been its primary. How important was the Steele dossier to the overall investigation? Well, it should have been critical. Here's another question. Hey, did the FBI, oh, and we're going to get, oh, we're cutting, we're cutting to the quick now. These are questions that he does not want to answer. Did the FBI mislead the FISA court in applying for warrants against Carter Page? That is the critical question. Why? As I've said for quite some time, because I know this stuff, this was my realm, the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine. If you have in an application evidence that you present as factual and it turns out to be utter bull, 
then the fruit of the poisonous tree doctrine says that everything that stems from that potentially illegal warrant is itself then found illegal. And that would mean everything essentially that Robert Mueller did from that point on out, including Flynn, including Cohen, including Manafort at all. And it could be endless. So, Did the FBI mislead the FISA court in applying for warrants against Carter Page? Critical. Another question. When did investigators figure out that the Steele dossier's claim that Michael Cohen visited Russia was inaccurate? He said from the very beginning he'd never been there. Another question. Who was interviewed in connection with the dossier? And why is the dossier mentioned only a few times in the report? Its criticality is pretty obvious. Okay, and I just answered my own question also. What other allegations in the dossier were debunked by the investigation? And what is the theory for why Steele published false information? You and I know the answer to that. OMB, orange man bad, period. End of statement. Another question. Did investigators reach any kind of a conclusion on the so-called P-tape mentioned in the dossier? Because if you know anything about Donald Trump, you know that he is a massive germophobe, which was the red flag for me from the very beginning that this was a load of crap. Another question, Bob, were you able to speak with any of Steele's sources? And hey, if you didn't, why not? Another question, do you have any problems with Barr's review of the surveillance activities against the Trump campaign and the origins of the Russia probe? And again, possibly the question of questions. The FBI program, the FBI investigation, Crossfire Hurricane, was it properly predicated? Was it lawful? Fruit of the poisonous tree. Another question. Why was George Papadopoulos arrested so early in the investigation? Another question. Why was Papadopoulos investigated as a possible foreign agent of Israel? Here's another question. What's the evidence? Show me the evidence that Joseph Mifsud and Konstantin Kilimnik are Russian assets. Another question. Why was Mifsud not charged with making false statements to the FBI when the special counsel's report says he lied about the specifics of his contacts with Papadopoulos, yet Papadopoulos was arrested. How about this? What were the four sets of allegations about Michael Flynn that were investigated? What were they? Tell us about that, Bob. Here's another one. Did the special counsel's team rely on Stefan Stefan Halper or any other confidential informants? Here's another one. The report says the prosecutors were unable to establish the campaign conspired with Russia. Okay, did investigators find any evidence of a conspiracy? And if so, why didn't it lead to charges? If it didn't lead to charges, then you didn't have anything. Another question, what counterintelligence concerns were found during the investigation? In other words, if you found anything, can we fix it? How do we fix it? How do we do that? We can't let this continue. Did investigators find any evidence that Russia blackmailed Trump or any of his associates or that Russia had compromising information on Trump and company? So it gets you eventually to this. Okay, you going to impeach Trump or not? Why not? Another question. How was the report compiled? Which prosecutors contributed the most to the report? Oh, and another 
question. Bob, how come not one Republican attorney or investigator in that mess? Another question. What exactly did the special counsel's office object to in the BuzzFeed article that alleged that President Trump instructed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress? Because, hey, in the warrant application, a report from Yahoo News was used as a verifying piece of evidence to justify the warrant. Yahoo News? Really? Are you kidding me? Oh, no. No. Did the special counsel have to investigate any, any leaks from inside the office? Another question. Did any inaccurate news stories harm the investigation? And why didn't the special counsel's office publicly rebut any more of them? Lots of questions. Those questions should all be answered. Hmm. I find that very, very interesting. Uh, one final article of note, and then I think this will be it for the show. Today at the age of 99, retired Supreme Court uh, Justice John Paul Stevens passed away. He was a massive leftist on the court. And before we have a tear fest for John Paul Stevens, who does in fact kind of have a, a cool name. But let's just remember one thing about John Paul Stevens. If you go back to, I think it was um, 2018, about March of 2018, last year. Let's see. Wasn't he the guy that uh, advocated for repealing the Second Amendment? Oh, that's right. He was. He was 97 at the time. Uh, he published an article, an op-ed in the New York Times, where he argued that advocates for stricter gun control legislation should take the next step he's a SCOTUS member, and demand the removal of the Second Amendment entirely. This is a quote. That simple but dramatic action would move marchers closer to their objective than any other possible reform. Um, he was appointed by President Gerald Ford, and he was then a re registered Republican, I should point out. And he continues to write, in that piece, it would eliminate the only legal rule that protects sellers of firearms in the United States, unlike every other market in the world. It would make our school children safer than they've been since 2008 and honor the memories of the many, indeed far too many victims of recent gun violence, except that gun violence peaked in 1994. I should know something about that because I was working robbery and then homicide at the time and my gun violence cases. That's how I got into homicide, because my robbery suspects were the same as the murder suspects. Gun violence was off the charts in 94, 95, 96. That was the peak. And leftists are here to make sure that you know for a fact, oh, that's not factually correct. Really? Again, reference, if people, if, they're, if they don't want to hear, if, they, if you want to prove to leftists, although that's, that's kind of an in, insipid argument anyway, they're not going to want to listen, but if they do, Point out the beginning of the second hour in this show, and then we'll have audio evidence to include that. Monsieur! 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thanks for listening to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Radio Show live and direct right here on the SHR Media Network. If you want to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at BZEP, B-Z-E-P, on my blog at bloviatingzeppelin.net. Promotional consideration is by the Lockheed Martin Skunk Works and the Boeing Company. If it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. And also to Pratt & Whitney Engines Thrust. You can trust. Tiaras are by My Little Pony. Thanks to my personal KC-135 Kettle 1 refueling team with whom I will be consorting in less than an hour. Thanks to Matthew Betley for being here for about 40 minutes in the first hour of the saloon. Go grab his brand new book, his fourth in the Logan West series, his new book entitled Rules of War. It's out in hardback, highly recommended. Thanks to everybody for being in chat. Thanks to everybody for listening live. Thanks to you for listening in podcast. I greatly appreciate the time that you take for the show. Tomorrow night, Sackheads Against Tyranny? I don't know. I'll let you know tomorrow. God bless. Take care. Be safe. Everybody quiet down now and get some sleep. Good night, everybody. Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Daddy. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. What's going on? I was asleep. What's everybody doing? Good night, Good night, Jim Bob. <laughs> <laughs>